This podcast was brought to you by Channel Factory, who ensure that all your advertising appears in the most brand safe and brand suitable environments across all your YouTube campaigns. Welcome to another episode of the Blooming North podcast. Today we're going to be speaking all about resilience, which was the topic that was covered at our most recent panel event. I'm joined today by two wonderful guests. We have Caroline Britton, who is the soul and magic coach and an expert in helping change makers and high achievers lead from soul and create magic. Caroline is also a gifted psychic, mentor, coach and guide and is frequently described as a magic maker by those who work for her. Caroline is also the author of Coming Home to You and has been featured in Forbes, The Telegraph, GQ, Red Magazine and numerous other publications, also on numerous podcasts. We also have Lisa Hughes, who started in Audio Creative and became Talent Development Manager for UK's largest radio group and has been coaching throughout that time. She has since set up Lisa Hughes Coaching, working with individuals and businesses and anyone on the brink of brilliance looking for transformational mindset shifts. It's lovely to have you both here. You. Thank you for having us. So we've got lots and lots of exciting things to cover, but I thought for starters, let's just introduce yourselves. Let's hear a little bit more about yourselves, your background, um, and maybe a little bit about what resilience means to you. We'll start with you, Caroline. So um, thank you so much for having me today. I loved the um, panel and I'm excited to be here. So I'm Caroline Britton and I spent about 14 years working for a big global consultancy and experienced um, burnout and a mixture of things sort of came together to put me on a completely different path. So I've been working as a coach for the last six years. I've got a big global academy that serves thousands of people across the world. And then I also do speaking events and work with lots of very interesting people, people in the public eye, professional footballers, CEOs, and for me, the theme of resilience is something that comes up with a lot of people. And for me, resilience is about the way that you react when things are hard and difficult. I don't feel like resiliency is about having it all together. I think it's about having a very powerful toolkit that you can go to in order to know that you can give yourself everything you need to navigate choppy waters. Yeah. I love that. And Lisa, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, um, I'm in quite an exciting transformational stage of my life, actually. Uh, thanks for having me also. Uh, so I'm Lisa Hughes. I'm Talent Development Manager for Global Media and Entertainment right now. Uh, so I'm responsible for the career development for everyone in that company. I do management training programs and do coaching. Been there about 12 years um, but I've just set up my own company. So Lisa Hughes Coaching is what I'm going to be doing uh, in the next couple of months. So I'm just building that now. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be working with uh, individuals and professionals and businesses uh, to work with transformational change for their people. So much of what I'll do now, love my passion and I just want to do that full time. And is that on a sort of professional level or on a personal level as well? Like, will you be sort of life coaching as well as doing professional Yeah, coaching? both. Both. I think for me, you know, this is where I've done the coaching in professional environment. So I very much understand where people are in their careers and where they're coming from in terms of their next steps and, and, and how they might do that. So naturally, that's where I'm going to go. But it does uh, translate into life coaching. So working with individuals, yeah, on kind of their next stage in life as well. Amazing. And I think resilience is, is such a broad topic. So obviously there's mm. going to be loads for us to unpick today. And at the panel event, 
there was so many different sort of strands of resilience that came out, which we'll touch upon some of those. And we've got some questions off the back of the event as well. Mm. Um, but I think for me, resilience, I think is about having a thick skin. So I think it's how you sort of come back from setbacks in your life. In fact, I think Evander Holyfield, the boxer, puts it really nicely. I, I won't quote him exactly, but says something along the lines of... Um, after every setback, there's a major comeback. And I think it's such a nice way to view, you know, that, that sort of mindset around how you come back if you fail at something in life. It's having a sort of plan B. It's knowing how you can come back stronger and more, you know, better ultimately. Um, and I think it's obviously there's so many different variants and ways in which you can look at resilience. Can you both give us an example of maybe a recent example or a time in your career where you've really had to demonstrate resilience? So for me in Global, we've gone through loads of change we brought two massive companies together so radio and outdoor we've been through offcom changes where they changed um all of the outputs of the radio stations uh, which unfortunately meant people were made redundant it meant people had to change career paths and you know we were witnessing and part of massive change for people it was affecting their entire life's work so for me that was a stage where everyone was showing resilience together so I think for me, when we talk about resilience, it's about um, your environment and your circumstances. We have to be resilient, uh, mostly when we're in times of imposed change. We didn't invite it. It's happened to us. So how do we react to that? How do we then move forward? So I think for me, when I talk about resilience with people, it's a little bit around what happened, you know, where, why are we needing to be resilient at this time? What's gone on before? How are you feeling now? And, and where do you want to get to in terms of being resilient? What is a, what is it? Is it kind of also, are you being imposed resilience? You know, is it your company saying, be more resilient right now? We need you to take on all this extra work. Or do you actually, are you ready and do you want to be resilient? So there's a bit of a, yeah, the circumstances you're in for me. Yeah. Mm. And you are, I, I love that because the way that I look at resilience is really linked to power. So I talked a bit about this at the panel about personal power and about circumstantial power and how um, it's easy to feel powerful when circumstances are going the right way. Like mm. you get your promotion, you get great feedback, everything's coming together seamlessly, you've got a business, everything's flowing, everything's good at home, or you wake up in the morning and it's sunny and you have a good day and money's flowing in. And we get a lot from that. We get what we call circumstantial power as the circumstances are feeding your ability to feel powerful. What resiliency is closely linked to is personal power. So can you feel powerful when circumstances are not going your way? Have you got the ability to be able to connect in with your ability to think differently, be more creative, pick yourself up, see doors closing as an opportunity? That's personal power. And I think for me as a business owner and having previously been in a big corporate job is we are continually faced with the need to be resilient because things don't always go the way that you want them to. People don't always say yes, people say no, things go wrong. But what I have found for me is that the more that I can connect with my personal power, the more resilient I become. And that's like the gold dust yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that often, you know, they sort of imposed resilience that you spoke about, Lisa. 
and the circumstantial resilience can actually lead to burnout, can't it? Because I think you feel you've got to show up a certain way or you've got to be resilient when actually the truth is everything is not going the way you want it to go and it can actually be quite an exhausting process. I think you spoke a little bit about burnout actually at the panel event. Mm. What would you say is sort of the best way for people to overcome that or to try and sort of build on this personal power that they can then use to sort of navigate these more challenging times? So I feel like you've got to be really, well, two things. I think you've got to be really honest with yourself and I think you've got to take radical responsibility. So it's really easy when things are not going well to fall into the victim mentality where like it's happening to me. Mm. And that's not we don't have compassion for ourselves when these things happen. But actually, if you can take obstacles and blocks as an opportunity to grow... And to learn, and I think a lot of us, I'm very spiritual, so I always see things in the context of things happening for a reason. When I look back at doors that have shut or things that have been exceptionally hard, even though it's no fun when you're in it, I can see that I was being diverted. So I think there's an opportunity to be really honest is where might this be an opportunity for me to learn about myself, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to start seeking my validation from myself and not others. And then said the responsibility piece, which is what can I do and what actions can I take in order to be able to navigate my way through this rather than going into that waiting energy. And what the burnout thing for me here is it's when we start making things that happen mean something about us like it's always about the way we react to things so I experienced a lot of burnout in the corporate world because when things weren't going right I made it mean something about me I wasn't enough I should work harder I should push harder and that eventually becomes exhausting because it's never ending you never reach that validation so we have to be really really careful that we're not starting to create stories about the things that happen to us look for the learning opportunity take responsibility but also treat yourself with grace and compassion i think that's really important yeah i love that lisa yeah. i saw you making um, notes yeah <laughs> <laughs> scribbling down frantically no i couldn't agree more because this is i'm working with people in you know experiencing burnout they're experiencing impulse change and what it leads to is fixed mindset thinking which is survival mode so what we do is we, you know, so what you spoke about there is growth, is seeing the growth, seeing the opportunity in things. It's really important that we do that because the, the alternative to that is I don't want to put myself outside of my comfort zone. You know, I don't want to prove something can be done. I'm not ready for that. So I'm going to retreat back into what's called survival mode. And that's when our thinking becomes fixed. And that's when we're subjected to what's called verbal grooming at work. You know, everything's hard. Everything's difficult, isn't it? How are you finding things? Oh, tough I'm finding them difficult and busy so when that kind of is happening for us and we're more subjected to that we look less for the opportunity we look less for the growth and we end up operating in these fixed mindsets and that is just not uh, sustainable for all of us survival mode is basically us doing what we know works not doing anything more so it's important that we pull on our resources to consider how do we get into these growth modes so it's doing exactly that how do I look for the opportunities um and what you were saying there about the uh, burnout. So the World Health Organization recognizes burnout as um, it's a it's a physical thing. You know, we, we've got too much work on. We're doing too much in our daily lives. We're experiencing physical symptoms from that. But there is also now um, moral burnout, which people are experiencing. And I'm starting to talk a little bit more about this because the moral burnout people see are the things like unfairness. 
So my friend was made redundant or that person now has to do that other person's job or whatever's going on. You know, I, I felt my job. I was really feeding into my values and it mattered to me culturally. And what's happening now is I don't get to do that. I'm too busy for that. So it, people are feeling a real moral burnout as well as a physical burnout now, and it's taking its toll. So I think the thing we have to do is go, what am I getting out of bed for? What do I come to work for? What are my values? What do I want to achieve here? And where are my growth opportunities? And if we stay on that path, then like you've just said, we're going to yeah. be able to find our way through the change. And that's how we become resilient. And Lisa makes such a good point here because I think this is one of the most underrated things that we see is that people don't know how to regulate their nervous systems mm. we're not taught it i think it's one of the most important things that we should be teaching our children yeah. and the difficulty is is that as lisa was saying when you're in a state of survival that she part most of your brain shuts off because you are literally functioning from these fawn fight freeze you know these different states that you can be in so what I'd encourage any listeners to be thinking about is if you're in a situation where you're needing resilience, one of the first things you want to look at is regulating your nervous system. Yeah. Okay, Breath work, exercise, meditation, the way that you speak to yourself, the way that you self-soothe, somatic movement. All of these things are so important because off. <laughs> Our minds are brilliant, but our physical body holds it. So that would be the first place that I would be encouraging people to start if it's coming up for them is actually, and just you can go into Google or find a coach or there'll be brilliant free courses out there or great books mm. and go and find somewhere where you can get that advice on how you can regulate your body because it's very difficult to function if you're not coming at it from a regulated nervous system point of view. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for exercise, meditation, mm -hmm. breath work, yep. all of those kind of things. But I think it's something that's often overlooked, isn't it? People mm -hmm. just think, oh, I, you know, I just need to know how to navigate this. And they just plow on, move yep. forwards and just operate as they normally do on their day to day lives. And, yep. and nothing changes. And I, I always say nothing changes if nothing changes. You have to look at ways that you adapt your lifestyle to be yeah. able to account for those things so when, when I teach resilience in training I talk about the four types of resilience and one of those is physical resilience so when we think about physical resilience it's the same as you know you've been to the gym you've done a really hard workout you might need an ice bath or you definitely need to stretch and then chill um, but what happens when we've done a really hard day's work you know we're, we're our brains have been overused you know we're tired we've then had a commute home and we get home and then we start doing work at home and we start doing other stuff where is our physical resilience being built there? So, and, you know, they have to work in coherence, the four types of resilience, which is, I've brought them with me, physical, emotional, mental, and social. Um, I can explain, what, if we've got time, I can explain what they yeah. are. But, it, yeah, that the physical resilience is a factor of that. And I think that's the first thing that goes out the window when yeah. we get home. We don't remember to relax as hard as we work. <laughs> Lisa, you mentioned before there were four types of resilience. Um, I'm really keen to hear more about them. So it was mental, physical, emotional and social. Yeah. So we talked about the physical. So how are we physically being more resilient? So getting home from work, we've, we've exhausted our brains and exhausted our bodies. How are we now winding down and looking after ourselves? What do we need? Do we need more water? Do we need extra food? That type of thing. What, what do we do to be physically resilient? The emotional resilience is about our perseverance, acceptance and optimism. So it was it was about where you talked about, Caroline, um, how are we looking for opportunities and optimism? Um, and I mentioned verbal grooming. So in work, we get that kind of, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. 
yeah, I'm busy too. How busy are you? Oh, I'm busier than you. Everyone's busy. Oh, we're so busy. You know, and we get that and it's like, well, actually, are we busy? Am I busy compared to you? Or am I comfortably busy? Or do I actually need more stretch? So I think when we dig into things, it's about um, reframing that optimism and, and saying to people, tell me something uh, that happened exciting in your week this week. Talk to me about uh, someone new that you've met that you found really interesting. And I teach managers this all the time. You can do this in your one-to-ones, in your team meetings, rather than just how are things, oh, I'm busy and I'm stressed. That's because everyone's saying the same thing. Actually, what was fun? What was what was interesting about this week? And it helps develop this kind of, um, you know, emotional resilience. It's this kind of optimistic view. We've then got mental uh, resilience, which is thinking flexibly. So this is the creative problem solving that we can all do. Um, and it's about, um, you know, weighing up your options, conceptualizing um, in terms of saying, um, I'm going to understand different perspectives here, or do I just take on what's being told to me? So if we're about to go through some imposed change, what's at my, um, what's in my toolkit? What information have I got available to me? What am I taking as fact? Where can I go and get more information? Uh, so that's about um, in businesses, you know, when we align on uh, communication. So all the communication needs to go out, out at the right time. It needs to be the right communication at the right time in the right way. Uh, and a lot of companies, we all get that wrong, you know. So it's about that uh, mentally. Am I able to think flexibly here or have I become quite fixed in my thinking? Um, and then social we build our resilience on trust and relationships with others. So if you're noticing you're in your workplace, uh, a lot of people are experiencing this in the hybrid world. You know, they're not getting the social resilience that they need. Um, if you're going home and you're going to a football club or netball practice or yoga class or you need to go cooking in the kitchen with your partner, whatever's going on for you, you need that social interaction. If you're not getting it at work, fine, find it outside of work. But if you're finding you need to go outside of work for it, then you're not being resilient at work. You know, how are you getting them social connections in the workplace? And it's coherence. They have to work together in order for you to be operating at your maximum level of resilience. So I would say go and have a little read of them and go and consider where am I lacking? Am I looking after myself in my physical resilience? Have I got flexible thinking? Am I mentally resilient here? Because if one is falling down, then that's what's going to affect how resilient you can be. I love that. Such a broad scope of yeah. resilience. It just shows how broad a topic it is. Yeah. And yeah. you've got to look after your body yeah. and your yeah. and your mental health, 100%. But obviously, life throws curveballs at, at us. We've spoken yeah. about sort of corporate change and things that can really impact people professionally. But um, somebody's got in touch to ask about how you can learn to become more resilient in situations where there's a massive life shift. So perhaps the loss of a family member or a close friend dealing with grief um, which is obviously such a hard thing um, and such an emotional thing as well. Um, so, you know, sometimes you can have all these factors of how, how you can make things better and, you know, breath work and all. But the reality is these things are really hard to deal with um, in life. So have you got any recommendations or tips on how you can cope with the loss of a loved one? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to bring out that parent in you for that inner child like there's the opportunity here where you just need to love yourself through it to start with so feeling those emotions and simple things like I love you I hear you I value you because it's one of those things isn't it it's where we think everything has to be fixed and sorted actually what a lot of us just want to have is to be heard and we often don't do that 
with ourselves. And I often liken it to, you know, imagine sitting with a friend and they go to tell you how they feel and you're like, shh, get a grip, shh, shh, it's ridiculous. We would never do that to a friend, but we do it to ourselves. So Mm. the first thing is just to really acknowledge and validate that part of you that's in pain through love and hold space for it. And a brilliant technique that I have found so simple but so powerful is by a man called Kyle Cease. And what he says is when a really difficult emotional situation is coming up, you just say to yourself, this feels really painful and I'm scared and I love that. Or I'm really terrified I won't get better and I love that. And I really miss that person and I love that. What it does, it enables you to hold that part of you that just needs to be seen and held because otherwise that part of you starts playing out in other areas, in relationships, in work, with whatever it might be. So that is that is where I would start for sure. You mentioned grief there and I think a lot of people think, oh, grief relates to someone who's now, you know, passed on. You can grieve many things in life. You can grieve an old job. You can grieve the old house you used to live in. You can grieve a friendship that you don't get to see as often. There's so much grief going on uh, where we have to work through the stages of grief or the change curve, however you're aware of that. Um, and I think for me, it's it's about just same as what you've just said, recognising the stages that you have to go through and giving yourself time to do that it is going to feel uncomfortable you're not going to agree with it you're going to push against it then you might you know defiantly defiant child you might um you know want to kind of kick off around that that's fine and be frustrated and often be angry and you're going to go through these stages but it's important to recognize that it's okay to to go through them and it is okay if you're just even grieving not seeing your mate as often as you'd like to so i think it's important that we just um accept that these are experiences that we're going to go through day in day out yeah it doesn't have to be a monumental life change you know there's lots of occurrences in our lives where we can feel that way yeah because otherwise we downplay it and and we don't need to downplay half of the experiences we're going through so like you've just said isn't it we we often think oh it's our friend experiencing it will comfort and soothe them but when we're doing it we're like get a grip it's an old house get over yourself and it's like well actually process process it and you'll have an easier time but i think also not always comparing your situation to somebody else's yeah. you know i've got a friend that recently lost her dad and she's like oh, well you know at least he got to see me walk down the aisle at least yeah. you know and and then comparing it to people that might not be in that situation might have lost their dad at a younger age for example it's like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter you're still going through a really really hard time and actually stop just downplaying it because yeah. you feel like other people are harder done by which is always going to be the case there's mm-hmm. always going to be somebody that's less hard done by than your situation but equally it's still very painful yeah. and it's a huge part of your life and and when we are talking about grief this is something that we w- work with and live with it's not something that ends it's not something that just goes away magically one day we wake up and go oh great i feel wonderful now let's go it's more of a i'm now going to live with these moments and i'm going to live with these memories and sometimes they're going to be stronger than others but the further away i get the more i can see the positives and work with them so it's a case of accepting that it's going to be part of you yeah i think is a big thing as well it's not going to end yeah yeah absolutely i'd like to circle back to we spoke a little bit about um validation before 
And I think um, this idea of external validation is such a big thing nowadays with social media and, you know, influencers. And I just think it's quite an interesting area to cover because I feel like people spend their lives scrolling, Mm. spend their lives looking at other people that seem to have a better life than them or posting their own life in a way that probably isn't a realistic reflection of what their life actually is. I'd be interested to hear both your view on just around just the validation piece, around how you can sort of anchor yourself more to you and not need to be focusing on sort of what other people perceive you to be. Caroline, I know you're quite passionate about sort of <laughs> yeah. yeah, because piece. I feel that, look, I think particularly as women, we are brought up and conditioned to please and never be enough. So we are put in an environment where there's a constant quest for validation like you're enough when we say you're enough when you're this enough or you're that enough and it's you know for me the biggest gift I could give people is for people to start trusting themselves to start being their own biggest cheerleaders and I think it's really important to look at some of the stories that motivate us because it's one thing to be showing up passionately about something that you want to do from a work point of view because it sets your soul on fire, because it gives you energy. But it's very different to show up with something where it's driven by a need to be enough because it's exhausting. So we have to look at the motivation behind some of the things that we're doing. And I think that validation is both sides so yes it's the need for kind of external input about what you're doing but what I notice so often with the clients I work with is that they've completely lost their ability to trust themselves Mm -hmm. so the first thing they'll do is they'll go to google they'll go to social media or they'll look for an inspiring post but actually you are your most powerful source of connection and information (coughs) you get to drop into your body you get to drop into you beyond the noise drop in and there's that silence and in that silence is the goal the direction the connection we're not taught that we're taught to distract and to anesthetize and numb with whatever it might be booze food sex whatever it might be work whatever it might be so what i'd really encourage people to do is you can spend five minutes a day in the shower or going for a walk but connecting in asking yourself a question and listening to your guidance because that's when the magic happens Mm -hmm. when you've got the ability to be able to say look I'm on my own path things are going to work out for me in a different way than they are other people the only way that you're going to get the information beyond the noisy mind is to drop into your soul and body and it will guide you so that is a game changer if people can start doing that yeah couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, Caroline. Um, a phrase that people might be able to relate to is should, I should do this, I should do that, I need to do this, I need to do that. You're shooting on yourself all the time. <laughs> so you don't need to beep that out. But um, that's all you do. You're shooting on yourself. So you, you're trying to please other people. Oh, I should have done it this way. I should have done it that. Oh, I should really go to the gym. Oh, I should go there. I should dress like this. I should do that. If you find yourself talking to yourself like that, you're using words that are about pleasing other people. So I think in terms of neuro-linguistic programming and programming how you speak to yourself, when you're doing what Caroline suggests, spending that five minutes in the shower going, what do I want and what do I need? Remove those should words and, and, and think about who am I doing this for? It's for me. What do I want to do today? And I think a lot of us do make them shifts. For women, it's usually like in their late 30s and 40s where they go, Joe, I'm just going to start saying no. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to that house party or I don't want to go to the barbecue or I don't want to go to the gym today. So it's a case of 
trusting yourself and, and understanding and listening. And honestly, it's transformational the minute you start doing it. So I just, um, I recommended recently to someone, just do a no week where no matter what it is, just say no to everything, <laughs> just for once, just yeah. as a woman, just do it just for a laugh. And she was just like, what? And I'm like, honestly, you're going to love it. Love it. Just for a laugh. Even when someone's like, would you like a cup of tea? Just say no to everything just to get used to how it feels. And then it'll stop you searching for that validation off of other people. So it's going to be some life work. So I couldn't recommend what Caroline says enough. Get in that shower every day and do this every day. And do you know what as well? I would say because people get in their heads and they're like, well, I just don't know what's from ego, what's from soul. Is it a gut instinct? Am I raw? Like, people get in their heads about it. Mm. Just simplify it. Go into your body and ask yourself, does it feel expansive or constrictive? And we know. Mm. Put an opportunity with it. Your your mind and your ego might say, I really want this promotion. And actually, your body's like, oh, no. Your nervous system's like, no, I don't. I actually want to be doing this instead. So the powerful thing you can do is when a decision needs to be made... Just ask yourself, no matter whether it's a date you've been asked to go on or something at work, does it feel expansive? Do I feel like I'm being opened up in my body? Or does it feel constrictive, like I'm sort of going into myself? And that is a really quick way to make decisions Mm. using your body. Yeah, do you know what? A good coaching technique you can use, I introduce a lot of people to this, is the boardroom technique where... You would, if you're making a decision, because you've just said there, you know, should I go for this promotion? Does it make me feel happy or constricted? You can use the boardroom exercise where uh, you put everyone in the boardroom who you'd invite normally. If you'd normally talk to your boyfriend, partner, whoever, get them in your boardroom. Uh, You'd normally ask your parents for advice, get them in your boardroom. You might ask um, your best friend, a couple of your old boss, someone like that. You get them all in your boardroom. And what it helps you do is go, okay, what would you say to me? So what would your mum say? Well, your mum would say, yeah, go for it, you're amazing. But your best friend would say, no, you love your old company, stay there, you get loads of freedom, we get lunch on Friday. So, you know, whatever they whatever they would say, you'll have an instant reaction to that. And your instant re- reaction would be, no, mum, you know, I'm quite happy where I am. Or your re- reaction would be to your best friend, no, to be honest, like, you know, I could do with a bit of extra stretch and an extra challenge. So by answering your own questions based on the people you think are going to give you responses, you know, you already know your own answer. So it's going to be easier to get there. So that's a good technique I ask people to do. I love that. I'm definitely yeah. going to definitely <laughs> going to use Everyone's that. Everyone's in the boardroom now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I feel like you'll just maybe end up just back where you started if you well, go around. Maybe, Everyone's got yeah. a different opinion, haven't they? But no, yeah. I think it's a really, really good technique. Mm. Um, we've had another, from on the back of the panel event, we always reach out to our audience and just ask for um, any further questions that people want to know about. And somebody talked about um, external pressures outside of our control. So we've spoken about this a little bit, but I think this is on a much bigger scale. So looking at the likes of the emergence of AI, for example, um, which is obviously rapidly overtaking human intelligence. I mean, this could pro- probably warrant an episode in, its own, in <laughs> itself, couldn't it? But um, climate change, sustainability, you know, all the sort of broader issues that are impacting us in the world. Um, and talking about how it can make people feel quite vulnerable or afraid or helpless. Yeah. Um, how do we remain calm and pragmatic in the face of these really big life questions that are overwhelming us at the moment? I think we have to be really careful with what we're being fed. So I think that it's really important to make sure that you are, 
look, we're constantly digesting information and we're being fed things all the time. We're always digesting from the people that we hang out with to what we consume on social media, to the news we watch, to what we read. And I think it's really important to have balance in that environment and to be aware of how it's making you feel. Because actually, it's so easy to, and I was certainly like this in the corporate world, when I look at what I consumed, it was so Mm fear-based and so toxic and damaging. And it actually made me feel horrible. And I made a big shift away from what I consumed and making sure that it was much more considered and varied so I think that's the first thing is I really want people just to be careful they're not getting sucked into fear because mm. we're we live in a society that feeds off us when we're scared uh, we're easier to control mm-hmm. so that's the first thing is to challenge what you read to make your own opinions and to be really really careful about what you digest then I'm going to come back again to really recognizing the impact of the information you're taking in on your body and your ability to think for yourself. Because we all have a opportunity, again, by a deeper connection with ourselves to really go into our instinct about how we view things and what's important and what we're being told and if things don't sit right. So that would be my answer. Mm, I agree. Uh, measure, yeah, the input. Um, I remember during COVID, I had to just stop watching the news for a good couple of weeks. I was I was getting traumatised by what was going on and me and my partner said the same thing. We were like, it's, it's got to go, so let's just um, share funny things. I have a little bit of a, a thing that um, he takes the mick out of me for, which is I need lighthearted humour before I go to bed, so I always like have a read of some memes and some gifts. I used to have joke books by my bed. All of that, just because I, I need some fun in my life and one of my values is humour. I go and seek it out. So I think um, measuring what, what you're consuming is a really good uh, way forward. I was part of one of the women's group in our in the company I work for right now and they uh, shared loads of really helpful Instagram pages which were like women positive. So I was noticing that my Instagram was filling up with, you know, stunning women and makeup and everything like that and I was like, I, I need a more balanced view. So I started following body positive women and uh, different, you know, cultural women and, and different backgrounds. And I was getting a much more measured and balanced view. Still doesn't mean I don't feel guilty when I cut a flower out of my garden the other day and I was like, oh, God, the bees. Um, so I genuinely feel guilty when I've not got enough flowers in my garden for the bees. Um, so I think for me, again, it's about but what's in my control? What can I do? So it's going to if, if anyone wants to look up the Circles of Control by Stephen Covey, we have what's in our control. We have our circle of influence, which we might be able to influence some of it. So, for example, I can control me and my consumption of things and my recycling and how many flowers I plant. I can control that. I can influence my neighborhood and community. And can we ensure we're all doing the same thing and, you know, promote that online? Great. But then there's outside of my control, which is I can't control the government. I can't control the world we live in and what we do and the pollution we put out there. And I think it's just having that balanced view of what is in my control. Give myself a break. Yeah, and I think a really easy, practical thing to take away from this is just look at who you follow. Just have a look at who you follow on social media because that is what you're consuming a lot day to day without even realising a lot of the time you're mindlessly scrolling and consuming information that Mm. may be very unbalanced, like you say. So, yeah, Yeah. yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Mm. Shifting slightly on to more allyship, um, which was obviously another part of the theme of the event back in May. 
We spoke quite a bit about sort of female allyship and and having leaders that maybe um, are female, but maybe don't have your back, don't support you. Maybe there's a bit of a bitchy culture within your organisation. And I think when thinking about resilience, it's I think we've all been probably in that situation or a lot of us have probably been in a situation where you've had a female leader that's maybe just not been your biggest cheerleader. How can we sort of deal with this? So if any of our listeners are in this situation where they feel like their leader is not an ally, it does not sort of have their back, does not support them in the workplace, maybe actually potentially is having a detrimental impact on their progression. How can we deal with this, learn from it and sort of move forward in testing those situations? So, I mean, I've certainly had that um, experience at work. The first thing I would encourage people to do is we need to break the cycle of a lot of the... I think it is changing, but I think we need to break the cycle of a lot of the leadership styles that we see. So in order to do that, we have to have the ability to observe a leadership style that we would not choose to carry on. So you can look at someone behaving really badly and actively make a decision that you're going to embody the opposite qualities. Because this is the issue. It's, it's systemic. So how often a leader behaves is how everybody on the board starts feeling they need to behave and it ripples down. This is why it's so important that we get to CEOs and leaders and they're conscious with the way that they're showing up. They've done the work. They're operating from the right energy with the right intentions. So the first thing is make that mental decision, that conscious decision of I'm not going to show up and operate that way like that doesn't mean I have to behave that way that's the first way the second way is definitely do the internal work and don't make it mean something about you I wish I'd learned that (laughs) years ago you know I can remember sitting with a boss and you know getting this awful feedback which was so unjust and internalizing it and making my that my story for years until you know I, I did the work the last thing is it's about finding your and it's not easy but it's about finding your power to speak your truth so I'd really encourage people to find a way to communicate from a boundary point of view that the behavior isn't acceptable and this takes a lot of bravery when it's people who control our working life and the money that we bring in but I think um boundaries is a brilliant thing to work on here so this is the opportunity for you to say, like, this is a boundary that's been crossed. It doesn't sit well with me. Explain why from a clear point of view, but be honest. Because so many people just shrink back and then it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, I told you to be more confident and speak up and then you shrink back because somebody said that to you. So again, use this as an opportunity to see if you can find your voice and you can practice that at home. You can practice it with a partner, you can practice it with a friend, but find a way to say what you need to say as well. So but also not coming at it from a victim mindset that we spoke about before, so yeah. not a defensive sort of yeah. um, approach. I think it's it's actually been really balanced with that approach and constructive with what you're trying to say and making sure you've got all your facts and everything yes. laid out. Yes. Because otherwise, yeah, you you will just end up actually probably causing more friction if you go in with a more defensive approach. And sometimes, you know, people do have a strange leadership style, but actually when you communicate clearly, they can meet you. But we we don't understand that often leaders are so wrapped up in maybe their need to prove and their pressure and their quest for validation 
that they're not even thinking about the way that they're showing up and let's give people an opportunity to recognize that their behavior is affecting us and then you know it's a different conversation after that yeah for me allyship i think we need to remember it's a doing word um so i think lots of people say yeah i'm, I'm an ally joined the group joined the facebook group ages ago done nothing since you know so it's a case of um seek out the allies that are doing the do so what what are they doing that's um uh, you know showing you the modeling behaviors that you want to see so it's kind of i want to be like you when i grow up it's some of that you know who are those people in your life right now because if you've got a manager you've got a senior leadership team and you're looking at none of them thinking i want to be like you when i grow up um then you know you need to go seek that elsewhere and there's lots of allies out there. There's lots of amazing people. I think, wasn't it on your last podcast where the girl said, you know, I did, it was on the first one where uh, she said, you know, with my northern accent, I never thought I'd make yeah. it. So I went and sort out a load of women with a northern accent. So I'm like, power out yeah. the north. Love that. Yeah. So uh, say, you know, so so th those fish, she went and found it. So it's the same at work. If you're not seeing from your lead leadership team what you want, then go and find the modeling behaviors elsewhere. Go and seek out the allies that are doing the do. So, yeah, because. We work right. A lot of us work for private companies, right? They own the company. They get to choose what they want to do and how they want to run it. It's not always going to align with what you value and your cultural mindset. So I think for me, it's around understanding what you value first of all. What do you want and need, and then seeking out that, those allies that are going to work with that to give you the resilience you need for when you do have to work with the people that aren't on the same page. Yeah, yeah. On the accent thing, actually, one of the girls on the Bloom Walk last week said that her she always finds her accent and not she's got a really strong northern accent she yeah. finds it really hindering well she thinks it's hindering yeah self-limiting belief yeah the yeah. self-limiting yeah. belief around that and i'm like embrace it yeah. i think actually it can it can have the opposite effect if you yeah. embrace your accent absolutely you stand out in a really positive way so i think it, again it's just those self-limiting beliefs isn't yeah. it yeah i think we've really unpacked it there there's been so much covered um yeah. so thank you both so much for joining us mm -hmm. how can our listeners find you if they want to know more about you have you got social media platforms that they can follow you on i'm on linkedin so you'll find me um as lisa hughes lisa hughes coaching is in progress so <laughs> um i will have a website to share soon maybe i can put that on later uh but yeah for now linkedin be great perfect and caroline so for me it's instagram so it's caroline britain coaching and then i've got a, a website which is www.caroline-britain.com Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for your time. It's been so interesting. Thank you. Um, thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. So if you're not already, please go to Bloom North, become a connection. Also, please get in touch if you've got any thoughts on topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again to our sponsors, Channel Factory, who ensure that your advertising appears in the most brand safe and brand suitable environments across all of your YouTube campaigns. Be sure to follow us on all your streaming platforms and we'll see you next time.